0: It's the 6th of March, 2020. This is the Room Now podcast and I'm Dr. Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. This week we're going to talk about the best biomarkers for Still's disease. No, it's not ferritin. Misleading ANAs and where might you see those? And guess what? Fibromyalgia patients really are sick. We've got some evidence. Our first report, is a study of 295 patients with giant cell arteritis. In this particular study, they looked for severe cranial ischemic complications of GCA. Turns out most of those were second nerve or visually related. And in their analysis, they showed a high risk of these ischemic cranial complications when the patient was older And when there was a history of jaw claudication, both of those gave you basically over a three-fold increased risk for these severe cranial ischemic complications. And guess what? They were, in fact, decreased when the patient had either PMR symptoms or a very, very high CRP. I'm guessing the way to look at this data is that PMR symptoms and a high CRP were probably surrogates for patients getting treated more aggressively with steroids or, or more early with steroids. Um, and that may be instead the jaw claudication and age associated with larger vessel, large vessel complications of the disease. It's an interesting um, set of data. Uh, it would be nice to see if this gets repeated somewhere. We do ANAs all the time. We get consults for ANA all the time. I don't know about you and your long list of what causes a positive ANA that's not lupus and does not need to be followed by you, but high on my list is liver disease. You know, there was an old American Journal of Medicine report about serologies in patients with liver disease showing surprisingly high levels of autoantibodies in patients with a variety of different liver diseases. We have a new report that does the same and it specifically looked at a large cohort and looked at the performance characteristics of the ANA test and showed that 91% of patients with a systemic autoimmune disease had a positive ANA. We know that. The ANA is a poor man's uh, measure for autoimmune disease, albeit not necessarily specific for lupus. But if you have autoimmune hepatitis, the number is 49% positive. Hepatitis B, hepatitis C ranges from 14 to 19%. Patients with hepatocellular carcinoma, almost 24% of patients will have a positive ANA. The good news is that most of these ANAs are fairly low titer, meaning they're less than 1 in 320. And not surprisingly, there's a wide variety of patterns seen. You should go to the report to read more about this. But again, this is a rock-solid cause of a positive ANA. That's not going to be due to lupus. NICE, that's the agency in the UK that oversees the uh, use of biologics and medicines in treatment of many diseases, including rheumatoid arthritis. They did a cost analysis of how RA patients are treated. Looked at 205 RA patients and compared the outcomes, whether they were treated with combination DMARDs or the combination of biologic and methotrexate. Obviously, the biologics much more expensive. The combination DMARDs, not so. And yes, they found that you get similar clinical benefits with the cheaper agents, meaning combinations of DMARTs. So it appears that you're gonna have to go through Cheapyville before you get to your happy drugs, the ones that are happily and frequently advertised that you wanna use because they're in your sample cabinet and whatnot. Again, there's not a lot of evidence that many of the therapies we use are clearly superior to everything else we. Also, could use or used to use. So, in fact, many meta analyses have basically said they're all the same, maybe with the ex- exception of monotherapy anakinra and monotherapy hydroxychloroquine, everything else, especially when you talk, talk about combinations, they're all about the same. So, then it's up to you, the prescriber, and the patient's preference. Interesting data. Those are the rules in the UK. They probably should apply here in the United States and Canada. So, We're going to talk about two main uh, uh, issues regarding RA patients that have to do with the lungs. One is a study of uh, almost 200 patients with rheumatoid arthritis who underwent polysomnography to look at their sleep. And not surprisingly, sleep apnea is not uncommon in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Depending on your definition, based on the uh, AHI, an AHI of greater than 15, I believe was associated with a 23% risk of developing sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea, that would merit treatment uh, and CPAP and further evaluation. makes me wonder whether or not that 23% of RA patients with sleep apnea are the same 23 33% that have a lot of fatigue. In the clinic, often we think of fatigue as being an inflammation and disease-associated phenomenon when in fact, a fair amount of it could be related to bad sleep and sleep apnea. Another interesting study looked at mortality in rheumatic disease patients. Over 35,000 patients were studied, followed for over 16 years, and looked at all-cause mortality in a number of different conditions. Not surprisingly, all-cause mortality was increased in rheumatoid arthritis. 52% increase in all-cause mortality with a relative risk of 1.52. You know what else was increased as far as all-cause mortality? Fibromyalgia, 1.19, a 19% increase in fibromyalgia patients. Also, widespread pain patients, widespread pain, isn't that the same as fibromyalgia? Well, their risk of all-cause mortality relative risk was 1.38, a 38%. So a 19 to 38% increase in all-cause mortality in patients with chronic widespread pain, diagnosis fibromyalgia or not. Saying pain is not a good thing. Pain may run with a lot of other comorbidities. I think we need to think about and listen to the pain of our patients with fibromyalgia and those who just have widespread pain and think outside the box a little on these people. Yes, they are sick. The Johnson County Osteoarthritis Project recently published report, a 16 year follow-up of 800 patients with uh, hand OA. Um, They found that um, the patients who had um, OA, they had found radiographic evidence of hand OA in 327 out of 800. Hand OA, radiographic hand OA was more likely with age, being female and being Caucasian. Women were more likely than men to have hand OA, and um, this was really true for DIPs. Uh, And we kind of know that. Um, It is more of a Caucasian disease than is African, than you'll see in African Americans. The Esposa study is a five European cohort study that looked at the associations with osteoarthritis, and they found overall, 27% 27% of this fairly large group, multiple groups had one or more falls presumably related to their 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 uh, osteoarthritis. 10% fell fell more than twice calling them a recurrent faller. The risk was highest with knee OA and opiate opioid analgesics were also associated with recurrent falls. Again, pain, knee OA, we talked about this before, is a frequent risk factor for falls. Patients who are in this category should be sent to physical therapy for training on how to fall, how not to hurt themselves during fall, to carefully consider the need for a walking assist device. We do not use enough physical therapy and occupational therapy in our patients, in our clinics. Speaking about the global we, not you and me, we we are, of course, perfect. What's the best biomarker for Still's disease? I've been saying this for years because I've been taught this by some very, very smart pediatric rheumatologists, Virginia Pasquale, Lynn Pinero, at the University of Texas Southwestern. Uh, And they've taught me that Aldolase is the biomarker for patients with Still's disease, whether it's a kid or whether it's an adult. It turns out it's also a great biomarker for all the il-1 responsive autoinflammatory inflammatory disorders and then guess what the aldolase is sky high and the cpk is rock solid normal so this has been backed up by a recent report that was in the literature you can go and find the citation showing the exact same thing now there are a lot of biomarkers that have been thrown around about stills disease and i'm sorry folks Ferritin is only elevating 50% of patients with active systemic stills disease. Hyperferritinemia is probably less than 20%, probably less than 10%. I'm like, that's like the 10,000, 20,000 ferritins. Again, it, it's, it's not... What it, it, most people don't believe that but that's in fact the data is there's good data that, suggests that LDH might be a good biomarker better data saying that the um, CRP is a good biomarker even better is that the neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio and NLR of greater than three or greater than five is a very good biomarker for stills but now you should be looking at the aldolase. Vitamin D, you know, I hate vitamin D because it's associated with everything, yet there's no proof that giving vitamin D fixes anything truly, consistently. Argue with me when you see me. Knock me down. Make me take your vitamin D pills. Anyway, a nice study of 232 postmenopausal women shows that vitamin D deficiency is associated with lumbar disc disease uh, and low back pain. That's not surprising, but it's kind of interesting. Now, of course, if you give lots of vitamin D, will you prevent that from happening? I don't think so, but nonetheless, those of you who love vitamin D will love this report. Find it, print it out, put it on your, your favorite paper wall. The FDA has recently gone ahead and accepted the BLA, the regulatory application for the nerve growth factor drug called tenizumab. It's been in a number of phase two and phase three trials. They're going to evaluate this drug as a potential new treatment for chronic pain related to moderate to severe osteoarthritis. That's going to be osteoarthritis of the hip and knee. We'll see what else. You know, there were some issues with this drug um, early on, in that being a nerve growth factor inhibitor really modulates pain downward, but patients who had really severe stage three and four kelgren damage in the hip and knee were rapidly progressing to joint destruction, joint replacement, and people were thinking, oh my goodness, this is causing a Charcot joint. Well, the FDA put a moratorium on those studies, studied the issue, had a hearing on the issue, and then reinitiated the study saying, well, no, it's a little bit, it's not quite, a Charcot joint, but nonetheless, there should be warnings about using this kind of therapy in people with advanced, very advanced disease. Um, It is an effective therapy, it seems, from the clinical trials. We'll see how it fares when the FDA puts it under the microscope. Two more reports, a venom peptide uh, steroid conjugate has been studied in a um, collagen-induced model of rheumatoid arthritis in rats. Uh, and they, they took this peptide, these are cysteine-rich peptides, which have been found to traffic really preferentially to cartilage in joints. And, and they proved that as part of their studies, and they took these cysteine-rich peptides and linked it to one of two different steroids, either dexamethasone or triamcinolone, and showed that it can be an effective way of delivering steroid to the joint with minimal toxicity. Of course, the rats never complain that's the problem with rat studies. But nonetheless, other measurable toxicities were not seen. The more effective combination was the one that involved uh, uh as its conjugate. So it seems to be um, a novel way of, tra- uh, of delivering targeted therapy, in this case steroid targeted therapy, uh, in arthritis. Now, whether this can be extended to humans, we'll see. Hopefully, some will jump all over this. Our last report is a very interesting report from the um, Nurses' Health Study. As you know, it's a prospective cohort of over 205,000 women followed, and in this particular analysis they showed that prior asthma or COPD leads to an increased risk of incident rheumatoid arthritis, and then that risk is not necessarily related to smoking, although being a former smoker does Potentiate things quite a bit. So, in this large 200,000 subject uh, cohort, 15,000 had asthma to begin with, 3,500 had COPD, and along the way, 1,060 developed incident RA. The risk of developing RA if you had prior asthma was 1.53 or a 53% increase, and if you had COPD, it was 1.89 or an 89%, almost a doubling of the risk if you had COPD. The asthma-related risk was uh, was also seen in people who did not smoke. So this is very interesting data. You know, um, University of Colorado um, and Mike Hollers have uh, also studied the uh, risk of lung disease in preclinical RA and shown that there's sometimes subclinical evidence of airway inflammatory disease in people with preclinical RA. So this is probably an important part of the puzzle that leads to clinically manifest RA, the puzzle being driven by first, the genetics, um, second by environmental exposures that develop uh, autoantibodies, and then autoantibodies in the presence of maybe lung disease could be um, all the keys one needs to develop rheumatoid arthritis. That's it for this week on the podcast. Be sure to go to roomnow.live and register. Today we're announcing open registration for the free online access to RoomNow Live, which will start next Friday afternoon, go to the website roomnow.live. Choose to either register to attend the meeting in Fort Worth, still a few seats left, or to watch this from home, whether you're in New York, New Zealand, or New Braunfels, Texas. Um, Again, I think that you'll find the online experience to be just as good as the in-person experience, but people in person get to go to Fort Worth, hang out with their friends, be with the faculty, have dinner and lunch with the faculty, etc. That's it for this week. We are having our room now live meeting in spite of corona, uh, and there's no reason to not come. Everything's working fine. Texas Department of Health, the Fort Worth and Dallas Departments of Health say travel should be as normal. Uh, We are on. We'll see you next week at Room Now Live.